Today's episode of LTC Heroes with David Hopkins was fascinating for me. He has a lot of experience in marketing and sales, and I really love talking to David about how much of an impact his formation and studying in education at Disney had on him in long-term care. We talked about our favorite books and how they affect our leadership. We talked about how he is using personalized video to create a more meaningful relationship with his prospects before they walk in the door of his facility. We talked about what's broken with marketing. We talked about paid referrals and how he manages that and just how we overcomplicate marketing and it's just need to uh, simplify things. He said that sometimes our greatest competitor is ourselves. I hope you enjoy this chat with David about marketing and sales as much as I did. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by experience.care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit experience.care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today. Hi, all. My name is Peter Lewis. Welcome to LTC Heroes. I'm joined today on the show with a special guest, David Hopkins. David Hopkins is the executive director at Grand Villa of Altamont Springs in Florida. David, we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. I expect we're going to talk about marketing. I expect we're going to talk about sales. But to dive right in, I want to ask you an icebreaker. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Let's do it, Peter. David, do you have any unusual hobbies that you'll share with LTC Heroes today? Absolutely. So I am a chief dog walker of two adopted uh, rescue animals, dogs, Chewy and Tango. Truth be told, I voted no on the second one, but uh, the family won out on that one. So now every morning at 6 a.m. and every night at late, Nine ten o'clock, you will find me with two leashes, poop bags in my hands and out walking. I love it. I, I'm sure that we've had some other poop retrievers on the podcast, but none of them that have the official title of Chief Dog Walker. Great entry point. Can you tell me, David, what does the executive director do today on a Wednesday at Altamont Springs in Florida? What's your facility like? What are you focused on? What are your challenges? Sure. So I'm a 180-bed community. Uh, in Altamont Springs. So luckily we are not shoveling snow today, which is one of my not challenges, which I will take definitely. But, you know, in senior living today, we're we're facing a host of challenges, right? Coming hopefully out of COVID at this point in time, the pandemic and whatnot, we've had to sacrifice physical health versus mental health. And obviously that's been a challenge in our memory care departments and, and people with that are progressing into dementia, locking them into their rooms and sequestering them for the sake of physical health really has really been become the challenge. And I think we're starting to see that people are getting tired of it. Families want to be in and visiting and doing the normal things that they want to enjoy whatever last moments they're having with their family at that point in time. So those are some of our challenges. We continue to strive to maintain a full staff. It seems like we're part of that great resignation Mm -hmm. with CNAs and nurses out there. So we do a couple of things that are a little differently that I'll share a little later on with you guys. Pause right there. I I love that. I know that's on the forefront of many of the leaders that I talk to. Tell me one or two, you can call them tactics, strategies, plans, programs. What are you doing to help with staffing? So for me, I actually come from Disney and Disney's really big on training. So for us, we reach out to the CNA schools and the nursing schools, and we actually invite them in for their clinicals to come in, pass meds, do assessments, and really get their hands dirty into the senior living care environment. What this does is it's actually a couple things because not only do you get extra help with your CNAs and your nurses for about 40 hours or 
is typically the average of the clinical rotation for a CNA, and nurses usually have about 80 hours. So they're in the community. They get to learn your system. They get to work with your staff. And at that point in time, you've kind of identified out of that class of maybe 20 or 30, you may find three or four really good ones that have connected with your residents, that really work well with your team. And it's almost like a 40 or 80 hour job interview with no cost to yourself. We utilize that a lot. We integrate with a a bunch of different CNA schools and nursing schools. So on any given semester, we're having close to about 400 students through our community that get the actual experience of hands-on working with the residents and our care staff. And we really get to find out who's that next superstar coming up. Plus, they've already got to learn our system, our culture. They fit into that. And it's really an easy win at the end of the week to tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, when you graduate, I've got a job for you. I did that at Zach. I did my clinicals. I did my CNA in Kansas about three months ago. And I noticed that that was an amazing recruiting tool for the place where I did my clinicals. They didn't necessarily do it great because no one talked to me afterwards. I'm one, but I'm certain that it was, I'm certain that it can also be burdensome for the CNAs that we are training under. How do you deal with the cost that it has for your team? How do you explain it to your team so that, that, that they accept it? Because you definitely need buy-in, right? Absolutely. So that's part of our culture here is our staff is here to train. If you think about long-term care and, and assisted living in general, a lot of it is a first-time education for kids, my generation, going through this with their parents. Back in the 60s and 70s, we put crazy Grandma Mabel into the nursing home and locked her down in a, a true hospital environment because we didn't understand dementia. We didn't understand the components that we needed to do, and we just thought they were sick. So that was the best way that we could treat them at that point in time. Now that's completely shifted. And the mental set of that picture is still ingrained in my parents' generation as they went through this. I've already done this personal journey five times with four grandparents and my dad. And their initial response to any type of help, whether it be in the house or even into a skilled nursing community, is no way because they remember that picture from the 60s and 70s. So we're educating families on a daily basis. We're educating residents on a daily basis. And for our care staff to pick up one other person is actually not as burdensome that you would think because they're already doing the teaching to the residents and the resident family. And now they're actually passing the torch to the next generation of caregivers coming up. And quite honestly, I'd like to have a hand in training those people so that when I get to that generation and I need to move into assisted living, I can look out and go, okay, I trained them well. Now it's their time to take care of me. I guess I'm going to ask you, why do you think some long-term care senior communities do not participate in this process that you're talking about? So a lot of that goes back to culture. Like I said, I'm a Disney guy. That's where I started my first 10 years of my career. Culture is everything. You've seen this, the LinkedIn messages out there, right? Culture reads strategy for lunch every day of the week. Absolutely true. Because if you truly have a caring, compassionate culture in your long-term care community, it's going to envelop you when you walk in. And like you said, you did your clinicals at a place in Kansas City, and I'm sure you've been in other long-term care facilities, and you walk in and you get that first feeling. You're Mm -hmm. like, ooh, something's not right in this town, right? And you know it instinctively. That goes across for our residents, our families, and even the care staff that's coming in to interview for a potential position at that point in time. 
And they, they pay attention to that. You know, sometimes the word culture is overplayed, but when you told me that you feel it, you're right. I went on Friday, I went to visit a rather new facility that was created about two years ago in Wichita. And I wanted to meet the community liaison. And I walked in the way, the positive way that they talked to me and my son. And I specifically asked her if I could go with my five-year-old because I want to spend every moment I can with him. And she goes, of course. And I walked around and he was the center of attention. Every CNA wanted to talk to him, made him feel special. He wanted to stay at the long-term care <laughs> facility. That's a place that you would want to work in as a CNA. Absolutely. And even as, a, as you're walking in, you think of that from a sales perspective, right? If I bring my kids in, but I'm looking for my dad, and you're focused on my kids as much as you are me, that makes me think about how are you going to take care of my dad? Mm-hmm. And that feeling is just overwhelming. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. You come from a background that's, I'm not going to say it's 100% unique, but it's pretty different from the majority that I speak to. You have a lot of marketing and sales experience. And not a lot of marketing and sales go end up being an executive director. Can you speak to me a little bit about you know, that first part of your life and how you got into long-term care? Sure. So my, I guess it comes with a little bit of genetics. I'm not going to lie. My dad and my grandfather were both truck salesmen, big 18-wheeler and farm equipment. So I guess that, a little bit of that got passed down to me. And sales is very unique in, in long-term care, right? It's a, it's a process that you need to get to understand somebody, develop a relationship, and probably one of their most vulnerable times, right? And knowing having gone through that with my dad and my grandparents, I said I would never work in senior living. I've been 15 years in healthcare. The last six have been in long-term care. But if you asked me eight, nine years ago, I would have said, no way. I want no part of that whatsoever. God's got a funny way of saying, that's exactly where I'm going to put you because I've just trained you five times to figure out how to do this the right way. And we need that. So by his blessing, I was went into a long-term care uh, assisted living. They took a chance on me. I had no senior living experience. I was coming from hospital operations, acute care, surgical training institutes, working with big conferences and some well-known physicians throughout the world. And they took a chance. They said there's something obviously there that he, they liked and they saw a passion inside of me to really bring senior care to a level that Disney has. And when you walk into Walt Disney World, if you've ever been there, you feel warm, you feel that culture right away, just like you did when you walked into that Kansas community. Can you think of something specific that you know came from your Disney experience that you have implemented and executed and made sure that it exists as a system inside of your culture? Something small, whether it be the color of candy that you put in the jar or the way people say hello. Can you think of anything specific? Because I just got back from Disney and I know what you're talking about. Absolutely. So at Disney, it's very simple. And that's the thing we we don't do well in senior care, right? We overcomplicate everything. We've got 14 tab spreadsheets. We've got 98 pieces of paraphernalia or marketing materials, depending on what we need to do. Disney does four things and it's in priority order and it's super easy and it translates into long-term care and healthcare and it translates across any line of business. Number one, safety. You don't want to go to the unsafe assisted living. If you can't take care of what's going on in the business, then there's no reason for you to even walk in the door. Courtesy, second thing. Those are in a ladder step order. 
Some people will talk about pillars and things like that. Disney's a ladder, and that's there's a very specific reason why, and I'll tell, wrap that up at the end. Safety, courtesy, we've got to be nice to people. Unless you're telling somebody to not jump off the roof, there's no need that you need to yell or speak harshly to somebody. Show, it's about your setting, your environment, and the culture that you're working in. And then the last thing that Disney does on is number four is efficiency. So if you do that in this order, you know, one of the greatest examples I use is from the Disney mantra. If you're a cashier and you've just cashed out for your eight hour day and you're walking across the park and your cash register is full of cash and you see a little boy climbing up on one of the bridges over the moat, you're okay because you know safety is number one and that's your first priority that you can drop that cash register run over and help that boy get down. And if you walk back and there's no money in that register, it's okay because that's the number one priority. There's nothing that's going to happen. Now, most of the time, the guests will be standing around that to protect it for you while you're doing that position. But that's part of that courtesy and the culture that happens there. But Mm -hmm. you know, as an employee, safety is your number one priority. Nothing else matters at that point in time, except for getting that boy down safely off the bridge. And when we do that in healthcare, it's simple because everybody comes out with 10 of our customer service principles. And, you know, that's my favorite thing is when I see companies like that, once you get over four, it's hard to remember. Like, what's mm-hmm. that fifth one, the sixth? Oh, well, you know, the seventh one, we talk about this and, da, da, da. and we get so detailed because we think it has to be so complicated and it's not safety, courtesy, show and efficiency. I love it. Can you give me a specific example? You're not going to be stuck if you can't, because I already had a good experience when I called your community about 20 minutes ago. Awesome. Tell me. I want to hear it. The way that they introduced themselves and explained the mission and their slogan and then said said their name and then said hello to me, they got everything in. I was very patient because I knew that I was talking to a human. Absolutely. When you have that connection on the phone, how many times do we hit zero or pound or some operator, customer service representative? Well, I didn't get through for the first time because I think that they thought I was a salesperson, but she was so nice on the first one. I decided I wasn't going to hang up on her and try and communicate with you in a different way. She convinced me she was a human. So I did wait and she did connect us. Are there any other examples you can think of that Disney has its footprint in your organization? So one of the other things is when you, uh, if you get the experience to do a Disney Institute course, it's phenomenal. We used to, back in the day, teach a course called Disney Healthcare Excellence. And it was taking principles from Disney and and translating that into more acute care settings, but certainly transposes across in assisted living. For me, when I start a new new location, I do a culture survey. Huge for me. It's got to be completely unbiased, non-traceable, SurveyMonkey is easy for that, and some other platforms where you just mass mail it out, talk to your staff that they're coming to get in, usually 10 to 12 questions based off of what you're feeling in the community. And they're honest feedback questions. Do you trust your leader? Is there is this a good place to work? Would you put your mom here? When you start getting percentages back from you know 50 to 60 employees, and that gives you a good telltale sign, it's not what's wrong with your community. It's not what's right with your community. It's just where you are. And you have to have a starting point. Mm -hmm. You can't start a marathon at mile three or mile seven. That's called cheating. You got to start at mile zero and work your way to the finish line. Can you give me any marketing or sales goals that 
are on your yearly planning for 2022 that might be different from your previous position or different organization? I kind of want to get into the specifics to understand how you approach marketing sales. Sure. So for us, we always have meaningful connections. We want the resident or the family member to tell us that this was a meaningful connection. And what do I mean by that? If they don't choose us, that's okay. But we still represent long-term care in this entire community. Whether we fail, the community down the street fails, it looks bad on all of us. So when I first got in six years ago, it was so cutthroat. And we were pre-COVID days. And listen, you would steal somebody out of a community in a heartbeat to get that movement. I was in a small town with four assisted livings. First thing I did was I took all three executive directors out for breakfast. Can't do lunch because you can never get out of the building. Can't do dinner because you're exhausted by that time and you, all you want to do is get home. So you got to get them before you get in the door. And I said, I'm going to make you two promises. If I get a person that's coming into our community and it's touring, I'm going to pick up the phone and call you and let you know. Secondly, if I get an employee that applies here, I'm going to pick up the phone and let you know. And those two simple things were kind of, they sat on either corners of the table and they were very skeptical about this. Said, look, this is my first time in senior care. I'm doing it differently. And torpedoes be damned at this point in time. Two months later, I got a lady, a gentleman that came and toured my community. And he was very upset about the food because he couldn't get meatballs. And he was Italian, wanted meatballs, wanted meatballs. So I picked up the phone and I called the executive director. He said, Bob, changing his name for privacy sake, is looking in our community. He said he's very upset because he can't get meatballs. She's like, oh my God, I've talked to him three times. I told him I've got these meatballs that are shipping in. His daughter is sending them from New York. They're on the menu literally tomorrow. I said, follow up with Bob. Give him like a personal invite or something. Bob ends up staying there. I'm lost a movement, right? The people that are watching this from a corporate culture or sales point of view are freaking out right now, right? right? Oh my God, you had them. You could have moved them in. It wasn't the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That connection then allowed me to have an open relationship with that executive director. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I had 17 move-ins that next year from her saying she couldn't accommodate them based on her license. She's like, I'm going to pass you right over to David. Well, wow. I lost one. I gained 17 that would have never been there because that would have been referring to your competitor. That's amazing. That's a fantastic story. I'm wondering if your organization is similar that the majority of your referrals are coming from acute. And if that is the case, are you trying to change that or just deepen your relationships with them? Where where are you at with where things are in terms of referrals and getting new prospects? Yeah, so we get a a bunch from uh, paid referral sources that are out there. We're in Florida. So, you know, it's sometimes termed God's waiting room. So there's there's a lot of business around here. From the acute care centers, we do, and but not it's not the majority of our referral sources. What we're really targeting is family and friends. And, and that's our biggest driver that we're really going after. Because like you, when you have, when you want to go to a new restaurant, who do you ask? Your friends on Facebook or Instagram. Yep. Oh, listen, I want some barbecue tonight. Anybody got a good recommendation? Yep. Well, if you're in Kansas City, I know Jack Stacks is popping on that one of those top two referrals at that point in time, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to take that valid word from your friends much more than you will from a commercial, somebody who's paid to do that, 
Mm-hmm. And even in my you know, line of work, I have friends that I have outside of healthcare that do other things and other jobs. But when it comes to healthcare, they say, hey, I'm looking in the Nashville area. Do you know anybody? Do you recommend everybody? Absolutely. Long-term care is a very small industry. And we know people across the globe, not only in the United States. And people that are representing or work in the same ideals that you do, and that group coming together is going to be much more powerful than a paid care referral or you know, long-term care acute center or hospital center. I'm interested in digging in a little bit deeper into the paid referral. Yeah. Obviously, not all of the country has a paid referral works as well for them as the other. I'm interested in, in how you how you swim that that big ocean and what are your balances? What are your budget going into the year? How do you determine if it's qualified or unqualified? How do you determine what sources you're going to, you know, test out? Can you explain to me like how you figure that out? This episode was brought to you by experience.care. Experience Care is a provider of world-class EHRs that alleviate the pain of disorganization in your facility. Its dashboard is designed to minimize confusion and maximize productivity. Experience Care is designed for CEOs that care about their CNAs and their residents alike. Visit experience.care to learn more about the best EHR in the market. Sure, absolutely. So we work with, you know, we probably bet about 15 to 20 companies, just depending on. There's some really big players nationwide that you you get to play with all the time. And, and that's great. The local ones are really where we get a lot of bang for our buck because they've already, they know the community. They know our system. They know kind of the price point that we're at, the kind of demographic that we've got. And it's really, they're an outside sales agent. That's really what they become at that point in time. So they can interface with a family and really get a lot more information, more so on a truthful basis, right? Sometimes we have family members that come in and a resident has been removed from a facility, Baker acted, one of those things that kind of set off all the nursing bell alarms and go, oh, wait a minute, hang on, let me let me dive in a little bit deeper. And knowing what we can handle and what we can't handle, it's kind of like having that free agent scout out there if you're a baseball fan, right? They're down in the minor leagues or they're at the high school field going, wow, that kid's throwing a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. We need to get him signed pretty quickly. And they get them into the pipeline. So that kind of helps us on that perspective of things. And then when we work with them, it's all about, again, it comes back to the education. Here's where we're at as a community. And communities ebb and flow, right? Sometimes you're a little bit younger on that side where you're in the lower 70s. Sometimes you're in the upper 80s. And that's important to a resident coming in. Because if I'm going to move into a, a community full of upper 80s, early 90s, and I'm a young 70 coming into it, am I really going to be in that kind of a demographic? In Without going into specifics that would, you know, would make you feel uncomfortable or your board uncomfortable, can you speak to me about items in your budget that either they have a disproportionate amount that you give them because you realize that this is a better a long-term partnership, they're more qualified. Is there anything unique? And, and I'll just throw out some examples for inspiration. I find that some companies in the last two years are giving a lot more of their marketing budget towards video production. Now, mm-hmm. some people say social media, but the person puts the majority of that in creating good video before it even gets to social media. Maybe you're spending a disproportionate amount on what you're saying are these local ref- paid referral sources. Is there anything that's different that you think, you know, 100 miles away from you 
might look different than the way that you run your ship? So for us, we're, we have a corporate organization. We're kind of spread out through the central Florida area. And so our corporate office makes those decisions for us from a grand marketing scheme because we're kind of all in that same market area as we dabble across central Florida. There's really two major cities, Orlando and Tampa, in those for us. And those kind of drive that, that sales and marketing piece out of it. We really focus on the homegrown experience more so. You know, we've got a website, we've got the videos, we do personalized video greetings, which is kind of new to the, you know, the industry as where you're really personalizing it. So, you know, if I'm just, Peter, if you came in and, and toured and you're looking for your mom and I send you back a video message, right? Hey, Peter, it was so great meeting you today. Thanks so much. You know, really hope that we connected with you and your mother. If there's any personal questions or things like that, here's my cell phone. Give me a call, right? That's different than an email follow-up. You know, personalized thank you notes, I still think, go a long way. But that kind of video connection, especially now in this time and age where people want to be on Zoom, they want to have be able to see what they're talking about. You know, my 14-year-old son calls me FaceTime all the time. Like, I'm pretty sure the phone part of his phone doesn't work because he has to face something. He wants to see me. And that's what the need is at that point in time. I think you're right. And that is unique, especially as I've spoken to people in more rural areas where technology hasn't made it. I'm guessing you're using uh, some type of tool like a Bonjoro or a video testing. For those who don't know what that means, can we do an example? So I became a lead of yours. I filled out a lead magnet either through one of your paid referrals or filled it out on your website or sent you a direct message on Facebook. Can you tell me who the, what you do on research before you message me, who does the video and what that video sounds like? So typically we'll do a little bit of research on that. Google's great. Facebook, everybody says, oh, my Facebook's private. Well, listen, there's 10,000 friends out there that somehow know and we can find something. So finding those meaningful connections. And you know who's really good at this? Chewy. If you ever order something from Chewy.com, they are amazing at doing this kind of a research. For us personally, and this is totally a side topic, Peter, I'm going to take this on a hard left and I'm sorry, that's my ADD. But we were looking for a special food for my my dog, Chewy, happened to be his name, and couldn't find it. We were working with them. They shipped us the wrong thing. They said, don't worry about it. Donate it to a shelter. We'll take care of it. They sent us a little three by three painted canvas of Chewy that they got off my wife's Facebook. Wow. Said, we're so sorry for the mix up. We hope we've got the right food for Chewy and he's on his way to get help. That's amazing. It's a dog food. Took the time to go and research us to say, hey, this is important to us too. Who's a lifelong Chewy buyer now? <laughs> yeah, right? sure. Absolutely, because yeah. you went the extra step for that. And they're, and they're probably smart. years with dogs. And they're probably smart enough. Your kids, when they have dogs, they just won two generations. Absolutely. Easy enough, because that, that picture hangs in our living room, and the kids will tell the story about it. And mm-hmm. Chewy walks by, and he looks at it like, yep, that's me. So what is your video? Is it you, or is there someone on your team doing it? Yeah. And what's it sound like? So typically it's myself or my assistant executive director, because we want them to hear from the leadership on the community, right? Hey, I'm David. I'm the executive director. I know you filled out about your mom, Peter. We're so excited to meet you. We want to show you what Grand Villa has to offer. And we're excited to partner in this journey. And sometimes, depending on what's shared in the document that you give us or the research that we do, I share a lot of my personal story. Because when you walk this journey, As a kid, 
or as a grandkid and you're having to make decisions to, okay, dad can't drive anymore. I've got to have that conversation. That's hard. Mm-hmm. And as kids in this generation, you aren't prepared for that. There's not a book out there. There's not a YouTube video to watch. Hey, here's the three simple steps from getting your dad's car keys. Cause it isn't. There's 19,000 steps. It's like one of those choose your own adventure books we used to read as a kid. And you can never find their true ending at that point in time. And it's mm-hmm. different for everybody. And in acknowledging those emotions and the guilt, the frustration, the anger, the why do I have to do this? But I'm here and I've got to do it. It puts you on a different plane. Do you, you might not get into this minutiae. Do you know how, what percentage of people reply? What percentage watch the video? I don't. Oh, that that piece that we do track that through our corporate office. So they're watching that to make sure. Now, most of the time I'll hear about it when the tour comes in. Oh, David, I saw your video message. Thank you so much. So there's a lot. It connects because once you send a video message, if they get over, you know, this is a spam or somebody's trying to sell me gold from Nigeria or I've won, you know, $10 billion in Saudi Arabia and they watch the video, then they're they're pleasantly surprised at that point in time. Very much so. I want to ask you, I know a corporate plays a big role in this, but I'm certain that you give your opinion being a smart marketer yourself. How do long-term care organizations poorly market their differentiators? And I find that when I go to a hundred different websites, there's only three that I remember. 97 are just look exactly like the same, the same way. And I always do this. I do this three-second test with my son. I show my son a website for three seconds and he can scroll it. And then I have him record. I say, son, what do you think that they, what, the, what do you think this website's about? And he'll say the most offensive things that if I ever sent it to the owner, it would be like, what do you mean they're, they're a cafeteria for old people? Well, that's what my five-year-old thinks that you do. So how do you, whenever you have that space to explain differentiators, how do you explain that to corporate so that they include it into your marketing? Again, it comes back to being simple. We don't have to oversell something. But we have gotten into this grandiose marketing scheme that we need all these flashy things going on, moving websites, videos, right? And everything's razzle-dazzle. For an ADD person, it's still hard to track. And Mm -hmm. I'm all over the board, my wife will tell you. So keeping it simple and keeping it heartfelt and making the connection is the biggest piece on that. And I think what long-term care does is we try to compete against everybody else. Stop. Your biggest competitor is yourself. You've got to share your story and why you're doing it. Because if that's not convincing enough for somebody to walk in your door, you having a blue banner versus a red banner is going to mean nothing at the end of the day. How do you get some of your local testimonials up into corporate? And what I mean by this, I I know that you're smart enough, David, when you have a good Google My Business review or a good Facebook review, or you have a resident who says something amazing to a CNA, that information probably makes it to you. How do you hear that? And how do you know to take your resident's voice and words and turn that into marketing? Can you think of any examples in the last year or two? Yeah, absolutely. So we take that. I get customer feedback cards from our residents all the time. I get them family members when they're seeing something. So my boxes, typically I've got a couple in there every day at this point in time, which is great. We want to keep that momentum. And if there's something that's really poignant and really touching, then I definitely want to escalate that because I want that to be shared. But the first place I share it is our team staff meeting. And because that's important for our whole staff to hear, Mm -hmm. because you might be in one building and never hear that this happened in the other building. And that's important to know 
that our values and that our culture is very strong across the board. Because sometimes it's lonely. You can be out there going, man, am I the only one doing this? And right next door could be somebody doing the exact same thing, still going the same way. Man, am I the only one doing this? So you've got to communicate that because that's what helps fuels your culture, right? If you only talk about negative things, okay, 98 people didn't clock in this week. If we have to do this again, we're going to have to do write-ups and we don't want to do that. Once I go to that staff meeting, I want to hear about, you know, Mary taking the extra time to sit down and hold somebody's hand that was really nervous about, you know, getting a new medication or having to meet a new doctor, or go out and do something, a new test, because maybe she got a pre-diagnosis of maybe some cancer or something. That is much more powerful. David, I want to ask you about important influences and that have affected the way that you approach long-term care. I noticed when I was doing my clinicals a couple months ago, I was constantly trying to determine what were my residents' language of love. If you've ever read the book, yes. Five Languages of Love. The other one that I, I read, the book Regrets of the Dead and Dying by hospice nurse in yeah. Australia a couple of years ago. And I was always kind of thinking about like, what are my regrets going to be? And then when I was like, I wonder if this person has a regret, how can I make them feel more comfortable as they're going through the aging process? Do you have any books that you're always kind of the, the, have affected your framework with the way that you deliver care? So yeah, a couple. There's actually a new one out called No BS Business by Casey Graham. And what he did is he wrote his obituary and he's 46. And when he wrote his obituary, he wrote what he wanted to be remembered for. And so he has that posted. And every day he looks at that to say, this is the kind of man or employee or owner of a business that I need to be to live up to this obituary if I want it printed. Mm. Talks about loving his wife unconditionally, sacrificing for her, building a business where his kids can run it if they want to. And if they choose to do something else, they can do that to be kind to people and help them along their journey. And that was very impactful for me when I just read that. So I'm working on my obituary to figure out how do I want to be remembered? And one of those things for me is making meaningful and or magical experiences, if you will, for my residents. And I'll tell you, I'll show you a quick story. So my first deluge into senior care is I'm an executive director and I got to know a couple that lived with me. And she had actually worked for the Chicago Bears during 1986 as a receptionist when they lived in Chicago. And there was just one of those things in passing that I learned as an executive director as I got to know my, my residents. She ended up getting a cancer diagnosis, going through chemo, ended up passing away. So knowing that story, I reached out to the Chicago Bears and I said, hey, this resident of mine, and I'll call her Mary, was a Chicago Bear secretary during 1986. And the lady that I talked to was at the front corporate office and she was very, like I was, I had, there were walls up every which direction. There was like, you're not to enter Chicago Bear territory. And I said, I just was hoping maybe you could write a letter or, you know, that we're mourning the passing of our teammate. She's like, I will have to research this and get back to you. I said, okay, that's fine. So I hung up the phone thinking that ain't happening, right? Three days later, I get a call back. And she said to me, Mary did my job. There was the connection. She's like, give me your address. I will personally handle this. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, so I'm getting a letter. This is awesome, right? Yeah. Uh-uh. I get this gigantic package in the mail and I open it up and it is a framed Chicago bear Jersey with the number 86 on it with her last name embroidered 
like Jay Cutler, the Chicago Bear quarterback at the time, and a letter signed by all the players and the chairman of the board and the teammates. We're mourning the passing of our teammate, Super Bowl champion 1986. So I hung it up, put a drape over it. And during my time when I was, you know, as a first executive director, I really did a lot of memorial services and I felt like I was doing them illegitimately. So I actually got ordained online. It wasn't a full ordination, but I wanted something that made me feel legitimate. Uh So when I got to do her memorial service and I unveiled that for her kids, they're like, I didn't know mom worked for the Chicago Bears. Mm. And the amount of emotion that that caused and that magical experience for that family is something that I still treasure today. And it wasn't even something that I had a lot of part in. It was just one phone call and making that connection. That is beautiful. David, you're an amazing storyteller. Uh, I know that I want to have you back on. I love chatting with all of these examples that you can tease out of oftentimes what ends up being lofty theory and, and objectives that don't make sense to people and when it's time to, to execute. Is there anything about the marketing or sales process and flow right now in long-term care that you're excited about? Have you seen things change in our industry, not only in your organization, but amongst peers that is encouraging? We're starting to see more of that self-discovery, that really deep dive with a resident and the, the family member. And that connection is super important. Last night, I actually, it was quite, you know, God's providence, I guess, at this point in time. So I was on a Zoom call and we were looking for a different service for my son. And I was very excited about it. I read all the flashy marketing material and I was excited to to hear more and kind of dive deeper. They asked two questions and then the rest of the 30 minutes was a sales pitch. And my wife said to me afterwards, she's like, so what did you think? Like that. She's like, I know you checked out at minute seven. Hmm. Like, yeah, there was no connection to me and to my family about what we could do together. It was strictly a sales pitch. And thank God we're getting away from that in senior care because this is a financial decision with hard emotions, right? We've got to find the best place that we can afford for mom. But at the same time, I don't want my mom going any place that's not the best. Indeed, And that's a very strange dichotomy when you're trying to sell something, right? It's not about selling. It's about offering your services to help them on their journey of truly the greatest journey they're going to have in their life. David, your story's been inspiring. We've covered a lot specifically in the niche that I wanted to dig up. Are there any questions that I haven't asked you that you would like to highlight? Man, no, you've got a bunch of those, Peter. I appreciate that you have a CNA license and then you went to get that. I mean, I think there's a there's a huge uh, learning curve when you actually get into a very intimate situation with a resident and you have to do some of our most not fun things in life and do it well, and do it kindly, and doing it lovingly. So kudos to you for doing that. Thank you, David. I I know from talking to you previously, I've already asked you if you would join me in a live stream and potentially teach a class around something that you've already done. Maybe we can dig up one of those curriculum that you did with like the Disney experience and translate into long-term care so we can help everybody across our industry in the United States. What do you think about that? Sounds great. I'd love to. David, thank you so much for joining me on LTC Heroes. Last question is, where can we find you online? I know some listeners are going to be inspired by your story and want to reach out and say thank you or ask you a question. Perfect. So I'm on LinkedIn, David Hopkins. It's all small letters uh, to kind of differentiate me out there. You'll see this face sitting right there on the profile. 
that's how I found you. You and I connected about two or three weeks ago on LinkedIn, and I realized that I needed to have a Disney lover and long-term care lover all together on this podcast. Thank you so much, David. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate it. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit experience.care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.